When I am dead and gone, my vibrations will live on, in vibes on vinyl through the years. People will dance to my waves. These words are from Psychic Dancehall way back in 1979, when Marky Smith was in his early 20s. Today, however, we come to the end of our journey through the Falls discography, listening to and arguing about the Falls' last five albums. We're joined by no less than four brilliant guests, many of whom had a lot of time for this final chapter in the story of the Fall. If you're just joining us, what are you playing at? This is the sixth and final part of our journey through the complete discography of the Fall. Why wouldn't you go and listen from the beginning? You know our remit by now. We listen to complete discographies, warts and all, and then we have a bloody good chat about it. You don't have to be a fan of the band to listen, but you might find that you are one by the time you get to the end. On Spotify, you'll find a playlist edit of the show that's cut together with the tunes we're talking about. And you can find links to that by looking on Beat Rehab, that's beat.rehab slash tempfans, or in the notes on tempfans.com. Thank you for listening this far. Let's get on with it, shall we? Ladies and gentlemen, The Fall... Hello there, welcome to Temporary Fandoms, episode 20, episode 6 of The Fall. Yes, we are still in the wonderful and frightening and scary and crazy world of Mark E. Smith. Um, but alas, this is the end. Um, and we are going to be touching upon the final years and the end of Mark E. Smith as well. Um, rejoining us, uh, Aaron, Aaron Troy White. Aaron, hey, how are you? Doing well. And uh, what albums are you doing for us today? Um, I'm going to be doing Your Future, Our Clutter. And we've also rejoining us is Mike Plowman, who's got a bunch of albums to cover. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Now, I'll be covering Ursat's GB, Remit, Sublingual Tablet, and the final album, New Facts Emerge. Thank you very much. We've also got including James Kennedy. Hey, James. Hello. No albums from you today, but obviously you're joining the conversation. Um, featuring uh, the Blue Orchids, Tansy McNally, whose new album, Speed the Day, is available in all download, physical, and whatnot places. Tansy, hey, welcome back. Yes, thanks for having me. And Nick. Hello. You know the drill by now. We're not going to get into it. Spotify playlists, blah, 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 blah. Um, if this is your first of our podcasts, you're an idiot, go back, find the previous ones, and then come back and catch up with us later. And the next voice you hear will be Aaron after this. Our story begins in 2009. The reviews and sales for Imperial Wax Solvent continued the fall's upward trajectory. The band had their first UK Top 40 album in 15 years. It was official. The Fall was experiencing a renaissance. In their 2009 world tour, the band was playing a festival in Thailand, and Mark, in the middle of a blistering version of Blindness, stopped the show and just fired the band, claiming they were shit. All shit! The next night, he already had a new group, which was made up of local folk musicians. The Bangkok Boys, as they were dubbed, finished the tour to roaring success. This isn't actually what happened. Oddly enough, the least believable part, that they'd landed in the top 40, was the only truth in what I just said. In reality, 
Mark managed to keep his band together long enough to release two albums in a row with the same lineup for the first time since, I don't know, like 1994? The Stability Show is in 2010's Your Future, Our Clutter. With this album, The Fall delivered an astoundingly consistent set of songs. Much of the success of this album may be due to their new label, Domino, strong-arming them into releasing something that lived up to some strange concept they called standards. The band was forced by the label to re-record large portions of the album, keeping it from being released for almost an extra year. Despite the results, rave reviews, and high chart placement, Marky e. Smith wasn't too happy about Domino's hands-on approach to his output. In the lyrics to the standout track, Burry, he refers to a new way of recording, a chain around my neck. This wasn't the only meddling by the label. For example, Mark was not a huge fan of the track Mexico Wax Solvent, but the label pressured him into leaving it on, and we should all be glad they did. Mark is not the type to be pleased about giving up creative control, so it's no surprise that they left Domino after this album's release. The Fall have a tendency of selecting strange choices for their opening tracks, but not here. They start things off with a bang on OFYC Showcase. OFYC confusingly stands for Our Future Your Clutter, which was the original title for the album. Marcus said that the name was inspired by a sign he saw in Belfast reading, Our Equity is Your Future. He felt this was the most Irish thing ever, and started playing with this formula as a joke, until he arrived at the title of this album, Your Future, Our Clutter. The surf rocker, Cowboy George, is rumored to have been recorded for the film Twilight. The band was offered $50,000 to record a horror song. Mark Smith said, and I apologize in advance, I don't have a Mark B. E. Smith impression, but if they want horror, I'll show them horror. In the end, when the film producers told him that they'd need to remove the track from the album if it was going to be in the film, Mark told him to fuck off and just pocketed the money. Others have suggested that this anecdote is actually about the track No Respects Threv from Remit, but it's not really important what song it is. All we need to know is that Cowboy George is great and it was one of Mark's nicknames for guitarist Peter Greenway. The lyrics of this album are sprinkled with references to disease and mortality, especially on the unexpectedly tender closer, Weather Report 2, one of the few moments where Mark shows some vulnerability. This may be due to the recent removal of a kidney, because of the cancer that would ultimately kill him a few years later. Sorry about the spoiler. He told the world he'd broken his hip, even performing a few shows in a wheelchair but his cancer diagnosis was not something that was revealed until years later. In the refrain of the song, Mark says that nobody has ever called him Sir in his life. Well, if your 25th LP is this good, I have no other choice but to say, thank you, sir. You still with us? Still listening? Well done indeed. Here, we're going to head into the 2010s and the fifth decade of the fall and, ancient as I am, also my fifth decade of being a fall fan. That's not to say I'm one of those fans who'll tell you that they've got every single, every album and over 800 live tapes and that the live version of Bremen Nacht at the Hagen Splatz beer keller in Dusseldorf in 1988 was the best ever. Yes, I was a fall fan early on. 
I bought Bingo Masters Breakout a week after hearing it on Peel, but over my 40 odd years as a fan, I've had a couple of periods where I've totally lost touch with The Fall, reconnecting again after a few years to discover what I'd missed. I'd reconnected with the band in a big way after Your Future, Our Clutter, returning to making 500 mile round trip to gigs and hearing songs that would make their way onto Ursat's GB. So looking forward to this was I, it's the first Fall album I ever bought on the day of release. This was the band's first album on Cherry Red Records and again featured the same band lineup and incredibly the first time in the band's 28 album catalogue that a third album had been recorded with the same lineup. I'll confess, I was not the greatest fan of this lineup to begin with. I might have labelled Pete Greenway a boring bank clerk with a whammy bar. I may have even asked if Dave Spur was nicknamed the Eagle because Eagles can't find the bloody treble knobs on their amps either. I might have even ventured that every track seemed to start with a hammering drum beat followed by some sawtooth keyboard notes and then a three note guitar riff or heavily tremolo chords. Not for the first time, I was wrong. This lineup had gelled into an incredibly tight and subtly adventurous unit and while it never strayed far from the Falls familiar garage band Let's Repeat a Riff While Mark Does His Thing Over the Top playbook, it seemed to be enjoying a greater freedom. It felt to me as if Smith at last had such confidence in his band that he was happy to give them their head a bit. Produced by one-time Fall bassist Simon Archer, the album shows a growing maturity in some of the arrangements and more than ever a huge presence from Smith's wife and keyboard player Elena Palou, who's prevalent throughout most of the tracks. For me, she brought so much to the band. Visually, she always looked amazing, an immaculate counterpoint to her less photogenic bandmates. While live, her keyboards were often a little lost amongst guitars. On this album, they're fully up front, adding gorgeous textures and atmosphere to many of the tracks. I always felt too, rightly or wrongly, that the most important role she played in the band was just being Mark's wife. At this time, from my evidence at live gigs, Mark seemed healthier and happier than he had done in a long time. Of course, a fall album is always Marquis Smith, but if Ursat's GB is anyone's album, for me, it's Elena Palou's. The interplay between her keyboard and Greenway's guitar on Taking Off is as far removed from garage band rock as you could get, and her work on the mammoth eight-minute monocard shows just how much she was contributing to the fall sound. This album, for me, is one of the strongest the band ever produced. Like many Fall fans, most new Fall albums are usually greeted by me to be the worst thing they've ever done, only to be declared the best thing they've ever done a fortnight later. This was an exception. From the almost comedic Greek heavy metal cover, Greenway, to the unhinged psycho rockabilly of Mars Search, the lilting and gentler interlude of Elena's happy song, to the doom-laden Sabbath-style three-note riff of Monocard. This is an album that shows both variety and consistency. It feels like a real band and Smith is on great vocal and lyrical form. His newer vocal style, which seemed to often consist largely of phlegm-assisted growling, didn't go down well with many fans, but I loved it. The crowning moment being on Mars Search, when he goes off sounding like a cross between Chewbacca and Ron Eli's Tarzan, and his Dalek-like intro to Greenway. From rhyming almost every line in Nate Will Not Return with the title of Nate, to his tale of lesser bands barricading themselves in hotel rooms from him, to the misery of lost files and a crashed hard disk. Smith is as playful and obscure as ever. Always a lyricist you can choose to dissect minutely or regard as the disjointed ramblings of a madman. Both approaches work equally well. I prefer the latter. Four albums could sometimes just feel like Marky e. Smith plus supporting artists. This album is one where it's not just Marky e. Smith. It feels like it's really evolved into a band, perhaps more so than any other four lineup. He'd even started to speak glowingly about them in interviews. 
Surely this couldn't last, they'd all be sacked by the next one. But for now, here are the four and Ursat's GB. Enjoy. And so, two years later, and time for another fall lineup. Hang on, what? Incredibly, the two years between 2011's Ursat's GB and Remit's release in 2013 had passed without any collateral damage. No on-stage fights, no criticism of the band's musicianship, though, curmudgeonly as ever, Smith did state in some interviews that he liked less than half the tracks on Ursat's, and no, I repeat, no sackings. It's worth noting that at this point, Eleni Palou had been in the band for 11 years, double that of First Wife Bricks, yet no one ever calls this the Palou period. Clearly, something was working as far as Smith was concerned. This, the 29th Fall studio album, now became the fourth consecutive album with the same lineup. Again, Kieran Melling on drums, Peter Greenway on guitar, Eleni Palou on keyboards, and old Captain Muffle bass Dave Spur on bass, still showing no sign of giving in to Fall fans hankering for that old, harsher Steve Hanley bass sound. Spur didn't seem that bothered. Interviewed in a guitar magazine, he was asked by a journalist to describe his bass sound and gleefully replied, it's mainly a sound that annoys Fall fans. Treble knob, turned down or not, and with Smith's own acknowledged lightning of managing the fall to a football manager, it was starting to feel like Smith had finally got his 1966 squad together. Does this stability make for a consistency? After three very good albums indeed, we were about to find out. The single Sir William Ray preceded the album, a gloriously raucous racket, again featuring wonderful interplay between Greenway's guitar and Palou's keyboard. Smith's spluttered intro vocals are a thing of utter joy. The omens were good. The album also contains a couple of tracks featuring former guitarist Tim Presley, who'd stepped in to play with the band while Pete Greenway was on paternity leave. Yes, paternity leave. The days when people could be sacked for eating a salad are well behind us. That's how much Smith has mellowed, apparently. Marquis Smith, enlightened employer. Smith said in an interview shortly before the album was released, Remit is going to terrify people. It's quite horrible. The fall have had enough and we're coming for you. He might have been half joking, but that also meant he was half serious. The album received, it has to be said, a pretty rough reception from Franz, and consensus online veered towards the negative. There was certainly variety again, but some tracks, particularly Noise, Pre-MDMA Years and the suitably named Jam Song, sounded a little formless, particularly when compared to the previous album's sharper offerings. But you should never expect Fall to give you an easy listen, and they definitely didn't much with Remit. Smith's vocals continued to be on a journey to God knows where. High-pitched old lady on Victoria time, screeching cartoon-like about spiders on Kinderspine, and giving the unwary headphone wearer an involuntary tour of his semi-liquid lungs at the close of Hittite Man. For fans of old, Smith is infuriating, unsettling, and glorious at the same time. Unlike its predecessor, it's not an easy album to love on a first listen. I have to confess that listening to this album for the first time again, two and a half years after last listening as part of the temporary fandom's immersion after Smith's death, and probably for only the 10th or 11th time ever, I'm far more appreciative of it. It brings home to me yet again, it's exactly the Fall albums that didn't grab you that much you should be listening to. The harder work they are, the more rewards they can bring for your perseverance. Still, Smith was absolutely right, Remit is quite horrible, yet wonderful. Enjoy.
Well, here we are again, and the further we get into the false discography, it becomes apparent there's less and less to say. The periods between fall albums pass peaceably, with solid amounts of live dates which were lapped up by the faithful, while being by the full standards of old, maybe a little uneventful. While earlier albums might have been preceded with music press tales of bust-ups, slaggings and sack-ins, 2015 sublingual taglet, number 30, arrives again bereft of any such fractures. So settled is the full lineup these days that they are practically the Brady Bunch, though admittedly with less smiles and polyester flares and a lot more smoking. After the less than stellarly received remit, Fall fans might have been forgiven for hankering back to the chaos of earlier years, perhaps wishing for an on-stage punch or two, the recruitment of a bunch of no-hopers and something new. Were the Fall in danger of becoming the very thing they had never been before? A bit predictable? Well, yes, a bit, and no. The press reviews for the album were largely positive, garnering a whole three stars in The Guardian despite some grumbling about 4 by numbers tracks, calling it the best Fall album since Fall Heads Roll. Praise indeed, but the proof is in the listening. Though the album's no great departure from the previous couple of albums, it's a fantastically solid album and gives us two tracks which can stand shoulder to shoulder with any classic Fall tracks. Dedication Not Medication is the first of these, it has a sonic dimension missing from the rest of the album, in no small part, possibly thanks to it being produced by Ursat's GB producer and former Fall member Simon Archer again. He brings deep discordant textures from Palou's keyboards or over a driving beam, and, don't all faint at once, actually gets some treble and rattle from Dave Spurs' bass. Over this, Smith berates Pierce Brosnan for his overseas adverts for a tablet whose side effects include incontinence. Sounds great, eh? And it is. It's bloody ace. The second is Autochip 2014-2016, 10 minutes that feels like three, a crowning moment of this lineup's tenure. Greenway's hypnotic guitar riff underpins the entire thing as smithing tones about, if the annotate full website is to be believed, auto-tuning on recordings, or maybe people being glued to cracked phone screens, or maybe some futuristic in-body drug delivery mechanism. Or all three. I must confess, I usually have little clue what Smith is on about. In fact, it's one of the things I've loved most about The Fall over the four decades. His obscure, obtuse and often indecipherable lyrics and vocal delivery leave me mystified, and that's exactly how I like it. Talking of Smith's vocal delivery, it's noticeably reined in on most of this album. Softer. The phlegmy growls and gurgles and affected high pitch are largely gone, and he almost sounds like the Smith of ten years ago, but he does let rip on a few tracks. The band's half-cover of the Stooges' Cock in My Pocket with new lyrics, Stout Man, is as hilarious as it is rocking. As Smith rages, I'm a big fat man pushing a little pram, even the dourest of fans would break into a smile. He's on equally shouty form on Fiberbook Troll, and as he entreats his younger charges in the band to put their bloody phones away on Quit iPhone. I remember finishing my third play of this album on the day of its release and thinking to myself that it was great. 40 years and 30 albums and Smith was still turning out music that was interesting, mesmerising, puzzling, impenetrable, enjoyable. And let's not beat around the bush, still better than every other fucking band in the world. If this is what having a stable four lineup means, that's just fine with me. Strap yourself in, the fall sublingual tablet, enjoy. Welcome back. Here we are, a little over the years since the release of Sublingual Tablet, and you remember how I said this lineup was so stable it could go on forever? Famous last words. In the intervening year, Fall fans, well this Fall fan at least, were left reeling by the news that Mark's wife and keyboard player, Eleni, was no longer in the band. 
Did she jump ship? Was she pushed? Maybe a bit of both, but within a short time they were divorced and that was that. The longest serving and most stable lineup in the Falls history was over. I have to say, I was more than disappointed. In fact, I was proper narked. I'd always felt that Eleni's keyboards were such an important part of the fall and that somehow she was the linchpin of keeping the band together. I greeted the prospects of a new album when announced with a curl of the lip. It was going to be crap without Eleni, I was sure. Always different? Always the same? Yeah right, well this time it won't be. I'd always greeted changes to the band with an open mind, always keen to see what would come next, but even as I hit play from my first listen to the album, I was expecting it, almost willing it, to be rubbish. I played it once. Worst fall album ever. Rightly or wrongly, I felt Smith had screwed up something precious. I knew I'd return to it at some point and probably hail it as the best thing they've ever done, but for now, no. As it turned out, it'd be almost a year before I listened to the album for the second time, and then it wasn't just the 31st Fall album, it was the last Fall album. Mark E. Smith passed away in January 2018 at the age of 60 from terminal lung and kidney failure. We knew he was ill. Pictures and footage from the few gigs the band played in his final months saw him performing in a wheelchair, and he looked far from well. Yet, I believe to a man, we Fall fans thought he would be back. He was Mark E. Smith. He's indestructible. I remember learning of his death on the Mighty Fall Facebook group the day he died. I remember going downstairs and sitting on the sofa. My wife could clearly see some kind of distress on my face and asked me if I was okay. I can remember my exact words were, Marky e. Smith died today and I feel sad and bursting into tears. I'd cried when John Peel died. I'd shed some tears when Freddie Mercury passed, but this... Marky e. Smith had been the main soundtrack to my life. There was always going to be another Fall album. Now there wouldn't be. We'd never know what he was going to come up with next. I was honestly bereft. I've never experienced anything like it. In the Facebook group over the next few days, many fans posted that they were listening to their favourite albums and raising a glass in Mark's memory. Many others just couldn't bring themselves to listen to any Fall at all, and I was one of those. As the weeks went on, it began to feel like I'd never listen to them again. I just couldn't bring myself to. I posted as such and received an invitation to join the temporary fandoms group. Initially formed to listen to all the Fall albums some years previous, they were again going to do so in a few weeks. A few weeks later we began and I'm very glad I joined in. Listening to all those albums again was a cathartic and uplifting experience, revisiting albums I'd not played in years, some I'd not heard more than a couple of times and sharing our opinions and memories. Some three years later I'm still a member. I joined for the fall, but I stayed for the people, the music, the opinions and the laughs. We concluded with new facts emerge and it would be only my second play. By this time, my being irked by the former Mrs Smith's absence seemed unimportant. After 30 the latest new fall albums, this was the last latest new fall album. If I felt that Ursat's GB was Paloo's album, then this one was Pete Greenway's. He's all over this and for much of the album the fall rocket up like never before. Ever imagine the Foo Fighters with Marky e. Smith on vocals? I'm half joking, but on this, Spur, Melling and Greenway are in fine form, and Smith has never sounded more strident. Stuart Lee summed it up best, and I quote, Smith has shed the burden of being the clipped and articulate wordsmith-in-chief to become instead a kind of abstract presence, haunting his own work with growls and slurs and yammerings and hammerings that reaffirm rock and roll's primal power to bypass sense. Yeah, it's a bit suit corner, but he's damn right. Whether Smith knew this would be his final album, I can only guess. 
but if he did, he went out with a bang, not a whimper. You'll find no reflective look back bore here. The final 8 minute track, 9 out of 10, closes with some 5 minutes of Greenway's solitary guitar, which does give a feeling of, Marky e. Smith has left the building, but I prefer to look at this album not as the final fall album, but the one before the next one we're all still waiting for. On this form, the fall could, and should have gone on forever. We were fucking robbed. Thanks cancer. If we have to take New Facts Emerge as some kind of unintended final testament, Smith and the Fall left us with an album that most of the world would still shrink from, and that even many of their ardent fans would dislike. We, and I suspect Marquis Smith himself, wouldn't have it any other way. I'll leave you with the words of John Peel, without whom, etc., who said, I know it all sounds a bit pathetic, especially for a man of my age, but I will love everything they ever do, and that's all there is to it. John never got to hear the last 14 years of the fall, but he would have loved it. They never let him, or us, or themselves down. Always different, always the same. The fall, new facts emerge, for the final time, enjoy. Hello there, welcome back for the final time um, to Temporary Fandom's featuring covering the fall and we still have the same crew we've got james hey james hello tansy evening aaron hello mike hello there and nick oi, oi. hello okay we're gonna get cracking and we're gonna straight to your future our clutter 2010 um aaron i'm throwing this straight over to you um, there's a consistent, there's consistency now, right? There's a consistent lineup. There's nobody's left. Everything's mm-hmm. the same. Yeah, there's, but there was no lineup changes for two albums in a row. I, th- I was, according to Wikipedia, it's been since 1994 since they managed to have two albums with exactly the same lineup, um, which works for them. Yeah, consistency is obviously is a good thing. We have, by the way, over the last few episodes, been building up a list of the full pub quiz type questions. And that is also a doozy. We're going to keep that one in case we ever have a full pub quiz. So there is a consistent lineup. They're on a proper label again. They're on Domino, right? With They're on Domino, Franz yeah. Ferdinand and Arctic Monkeys and all of the, the cool young hip, hip bands of the time, right? This must be a good fit. Yeah, that's why they have that, that hip cover that's 100% fall. <laughs> you just see that cover, and when you look at that cover, you're like, yep, that's the fall, all right. <laughs> um, and uh, for me, I mean, before we, we we dive into it, I mean, I thought this was a return to form somewhat. Uh, YFOC Slippery Floor was tight, pretty fucking good. Um, weather Report confused me a bit. I didn't quite expect it to go in the direction that it went after it started. It starts with a bit of a jingle jangle and ends up, in some doom territory, <laughs> I guess. Um, but I imagine that long, I mean, you've been on the pod several times, Aaron, that long sort of doomy repetition, that that's your bag, right? I really like it. I'm, I'm an atmosphere. On the Facebook group, we talk a lot about this. We have one member who is very much into song structure. And I'm the one who's very much into texture. We like to have arguments about What's more important, having a good texture, having a good uh, song structure? And I'm I'm the texture guy, says the can person. <laughs> yeah, I like a I like a good song, but then I, I I like I like I like nine good songs and one long one. That's my perfect album. Um, Nick, 
with uh well this album i kind of again when i had to work out a bit but um you know for a long time i was i claimed that full heads roll was the last great fall album but i've kind of mellowed on that opinion i think there's some good stuff going on after but maybe maybe just not consistent enough to call them great albums um i loved the the lead single from this album not from berry like um and that got a lot of airplay at the time um on six music at least um yeah good stuff Okay, okay. Um, we're going to go to Mike because I got it wrong twice in the past in the previous episode. But Mike, hey, this was where you refound the fall, right? It is. Um, I joined the Fall Online Forum, and this was the first album that came out after I joined, and I hated it. On the first few plays, I didn't like the guitar. I didn't I certainly didn't like the bass, uh, which was you know, let's turn the treble knob down, and uh, really disliked it. Um, I was in touch with a guy on the forum who lived in the next village to me and they were playing in Leamington Spa, which was only a few miles down the road. So we decided to go along and live they were blistering. Uh, they were so much better than I thought the record was. Uh, I saw them, I think, four times in two weeks. Went, listened to the album every day and man, did it grow on me. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, Berry is catchy straight from the off. I mean, you know, it's practically glitter band in places. Um, but the the thing that really struck me with the album was, you know, this wasn't just all straightforward rock stuff. It wasn't the stuff we had on Four Edge Roll. There was a lot of musicianship going on. I don't, my particular view or imagining is that Mark didn't have a lot to do with the music around this time because they seemed to be given a little bit of freedom. Um, and I think usually things like Chino Weather Report were surprising to Fall fans. And I just loved it. I reconnected with the band in such a big way. I was back to 500 mile round trips up to York to see them live. Um, for me, easily in my top three favourite Fall albums. It's fantastic. Um, you said you saw them four times in two weeks. Um, we, we, we touched on this a few episodes ago about how their, their set list never stayed the same. Did their set list stay the same? It stayed roughly the same. He, Mark threw in an old one every now and again. He did. The first time I see them, he threw in Maserawi's Daughter, which oh, wow. they yeah. probably hadn't played live in, I don't know, probably 15, 20 years at least. Um, what was the interesting thing, because obviously people were recording the gigs and putting them up the day after, was hearing the songs that were going to be on the next album. Because, yeah. you know, as we know with The Fall, you didn't get the songs, you know, you didn't get the singles, you didn't get the popular songs, you got what was on the new album, and you got stuff they were already working on for the next album. And what was interesting over the gigs is hearing those songs change. Because we downloaded the gig the day afterwards, you got used to that version. By the time you saw them five days later, it was already evolving. You know, it was clearly a band that was working on the stuff live. It was amazing. Okay, so, so that sort of fits with the image I've sort of built up over the last few weeks of how nothing's nothing set in stone until it's actually recorded and released. Yeah. Um, right up to the second that somebody takes the master C45 tape away. Um, that's then it's done. Well, then yeah, it's yeah. finished. Maybe not even then. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Probably still carried on changing it live. Yeah. I, mean, I have to say like I'm lukewarm on the late fall albums, but I absolutely love them live at this time. So I was living back in the UK between 2004, 2014, and I was in Bristol. I just made a point of seeing them every single time they played live anywhere in that part of the country. 
Um, and I enjoyed them every time, even though they were playing songs from records that I was, you know, ostensibly didn't like that much. They were just brilliant. And as a, as a live as as a live act, um, I, I'm guessing the live act and the, the studio act are they particularly different to anybody? This is to anybody. Um, some bands, their live show is the album with a bit of live stuff. Some bands, their live show is totally different. Uh, for me, their studio presence seems like a live presence, yeah. so to speak, a bit sort of, there's that ramshackle, it's changing, you don't know what you're going to get. Um, for those in this group here who have seen them live, is that fair to say? Well, I yes. was going to just, I was just going to say, actually, this is, for me, this album encapsulates that idea really well because I actually re-listened to it recently. I hadn't heard it for ages, and I re-listened to the the version that was um, with the vinyl track listing because I think I prefer that version. But I think from this point on with the four, you really get a, a sense that there's a really nice marriage between their their live performances and the albums. Because if you think about the way the four recorded all through its history. Um, in terms of the way they worked in the studio, that studio they were a live band. They recorded live generally. There was, there was, I think especially in this period, there probably wasn't as much overdubbing. If you know, if you can probably say that through their whole career, and I think with the albums from probably this one onward, towards the end, you really do get that sense. And for me, that's what makes this album really consistent in terms of the sound and also with the personnel. Um, you know, you've you've got the lineup, which I suppose from this point in time again is also really consistent. And you can hear that the band's really tight and Marcus is giving them free reign to do what they want and develop that sound. And I think as you go towards the end of the fall, from this point as well, it's to me, I don't want to say this, but it almost when I saw them live a few years after this, it seemed to me that the, the band was carrying Mark and you look at a lot of the performances on YouTube and you hear a lot of the albums and it's like, he's kind of stepping back. It's more about the band and the music carrying him mm-hmm. rather than it being about Marky e. Smith fronting the band. And I find that it's a really interesting shift from this point onwards. So has it gone from Marky e. Smith driving the band to the band basically being Marky Smith, like he was the band and now the band to him and he was keeping the band going, the band are now keeping him going. Well, yeah, I mean, and James, Sorry. No, I was just, just going to quickly say, if you look at if you look at the way the lyrics fit with the music from this period on, like in, in the past, it was very much very lyric driven. Whereas now with Mark's lyrics, he just kind of throws in in phrases or the odd sentence. He's not kind of ranting on. He's just kind of punctuating the music. The music it's a lot more musical from this point onwards. I think. Okay. Okay. So his voice is more sort of an instrument as part of it rather than a vocal. But that's a, uh, that's a big part of what I missed, you know, is, is uh, Marky Smith, the lyricist. Um, by this point, he's really not coming up with those, like, great, I don't know, the way he used language early on was, it was a wonderful thing. And I kind of found it quite difficult later on when you'd see him in interviews and he'd started to become kind of inarticulate. You know, he, he could barely speak. And what was great about the fall in the 80s was how articulate he was. Um, and the way that he used language was was such a compelling part of the full sound for me that that's probably why I struggle with these later albums. Mm. You're not getting those little moments, uh, just flashes of, of, I don't know, genius with language, I think. Um, James, were there any of these moments here for you? Just going to what um, what Tanzi's saying there, and particularly about the um, 
particularly about the uh, lyrics. I mean, I've just looked up Percino uh, here, um, whilst and because I think here we're seeing a much more introspective man. I think um, particularly with his trips into um, hospital and uh, the lyric here. Um, this was an actual account of the operational experience. When he thought at first he was going out, in fact, he was going for in, in for it. When do I quit? Um, where do I quit? I need to know. I mean, uh, yet he is sort of, as it were, taking a sort of more of a backseat. And, um, and I think, he, does he know he's settled into this band yet? Uh, because um, apart from yeah. any of the rest of the band stay on until new facts emerge and... Um, uh, well, um, and until until the very la until uh, and until he passed away, uh, I think I love this album. I, I think it's got some great moments. It's my favourite of last decades, um, but not by a long way. I think they they still did some amazing stuff in this last decade. And um, uh, but stuff like Rev Report too, my word, it's it takes my breath away every time. It's just it's just wonderful. Um, and also the segue from um, YFOC into Slippy Floor. Um, it's there's this great clip on YouTube. I forget where it's from, but um, he did it when I saw him in 2010. When when they kick into that riff, there's this sort of it's a smile cracked across his face, and he, you can just tell he's looking out into the audience, and the audience are really really going for it. Um, we all did when I saw them do it um, at that gig. It's um, yeah, it's a, I, I love them. Um, your future output. So I brought up the day of release. By then, every time they release something new, I've got to hear this. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. I'm more than happy with it. Okay. Um, so over the decades, the fall have adapted and taken in various different musical genres, some longer than others. We've had, they've gone through a bit of baggy, a bit <laughs> new techno, I guess. Um, there's our various alt rock and with Ursat's GB and Mask Search, we've got Rockabilly back. There's a Rockabilly really? vibe I wish. back. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I mean, you came back with your future Our Clutter. You'd, you'd reinvestigated previous albums. Um, and now, a year later, we've got a new one. Yeah, uh, I bought this on the day of release. I was so excited to get it. I had it ordered. It arrived on the day of release. And I loved it. I thought it was easily the equal of your future. Um, I think the production on it was phenomenal. Uh, I know Simon Archer, the former four bass uh, player, produced a lot of it. And I just, I just think again, it did sound. And Nick brought up a good point that it did sound now like a band that was doing the work, work the heavy lifting. And Mark came in and did his thing over the top. And you know. That's not taking anything from Mark without him. It just wasn't the fall. Uh, but musically, this is experimental. The keyboards play a massive part. I think Eleanor by this time was defining the fall sound um, mm. as much as Mark was. Um, that whole album worked for me brilliantly. thought it was great. This is a heavier album than the previous one, right? There's definitely a, it, me, no, it was there a heavier are some sound. heavier tracks on it, but like I said, there's also it's yeah, it hasn't got the soft stuff apart from maybe Happy Song, which uh, all four, four fans apart from me hate. Um, yeah, there, there's some heavy stuff. Mass Search is fantastic. Uh, I mean, this is where Peter Greenway, I think, really started to come into his own in the band. Um, I didn't rate him that highly uh, early on, but I, I think as he developed his confidence, he always looked terrified at gigs. He looked frozen to the spot and about 
teetering on the edge of a nervous breakdown, most gigs I went to. Um, but I think the, the band now had really gelled. I mean, it's the first, I think it was the first fall album, the, uh, the third fall album with the same lineup, and that was the first time it had ever happened, which again was record breaking. You thought it couldn't last. But, uh, you know, Mark seemed happy. I, I went to quite a few gigs at that. He seemed happy. He looked healthier than he had done in a long time. And they were just chilling into this phenomenal lineup. Okay. Okay. Um, his voice. Sadly, this is the first time for me that I noticed that his voice was, it was gone, gone, right? There, yeah, was, there was no coming back. From no, that definitely not. The new vocal style was very different and you know, most four fans hated it. I actually quite liked it. And I also enjoyed the change in his lyrical style, which I know Nick has already commented on, but he misses the earlier stuff. But I think Mark became more cryptic with his lyrics and just this punctuation over the music, um, and I really warmed to the new sound. I, uh, yes, it was different, but it was still the fall, and I still loved it. Um, there was a, I, I can't remember, when I was doing all the reading for this, there was one review I read at some point that was that sort of alluded to, is Marky e. Smith still a genius, or are we just prescribing genius level to some inane ramblings? Yeah, I think that was Paul Morley said that on the uh, BBC documentary. Uh, that yeah, you know, you can read what you want into Mark. Either he's a genius or he is a rambling drunk, and probably you know both are true. I, I think both work. You know. Yeah, mm. yeah. You can be a genius rambling drunk. I mean, obviously, um, the question is how long one, how long there's a balance between the two. Um, Tansy, uh, how, did you like this this one? I mean, more of a it's like for me, like I said, it's a bit more of a heavier sound. There was a bit, there was a little bit of rockabilly coming back. Um, there is that consistency in them. It wasn't for me as good as your future hour clutter, but yeah, I, I remember. I remember when I started buying fall albums. This one was always sitting in the um, in in the rack at my local um, record CD shop, and no one would ever buy it. And I w would go in every week and see if someone had bought it, and they <laughs> and they didn't. And I could have bought it myself, and I didn't. And I think that says a lot. Um, I, I was yeah. I've never quite warmed to this album. I mean, I like the cover. I, I like what um, Mark Kennedy, the um, mosaic artist, did for the cover. He made some good covers for them, actually. But I think with with this period of the fall as well, I think one one thing people tend to forget is that the fall isn't about music. The fall the fall was never about music. The fall was more about more about concepts, and I think. For me, um, I think for me, this this one was kind of, they were obviously trying something a little bit different, but they hadn't quite found themselves. And we were mentioning, someone mentioned before that they felt this, this album sounded more rockabilly. Well, I actually think Remit, for me, is more of a rockabilly kind of album. And maybe that says more about mm -hmm. the way I hear it than anyone else. I think this is kind of leading into Remit a little bit. This is kind of like a bridge between, um, in my head, this is like a bridge between you know, your future, our clutter and remit. It's just, it's this weird and it's weird kind of strange in between place, which is quite interesting. They do seem to have a lot of bridge albums. Um, they'll have a period, they'll have a bit of a role and before either things will go tits up and then they'll have a comeback album or they'll have this album that moves into the next bit. Well, yeah, I mean, because the thing, because the way um, I see it is, I'm, I'm a painter as well. I mean, I'm not just a musician. I paint, and I'm an artist. My my background is in is in art, and 
that's how I view the fall. I don't look at the fall in terms of a linear progression from 1977 to 2018 or whatever. I, or I don't even view the fall in terms of album. You know, I, I, I don't think that linear view is a good way to see the fall. I think it's more about, you know, you judging the individual songs or the individual concepts on their merits rather than where do they fit in that narrative because I think that can be a bit limiting with the fall. So I suppose if you take this album on its own, um, there's definitely a lot of interesting things going on if you look at it separately from maybe the rest of their output. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, the, the format of, of this pod does has sadly means we are putting them into 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 said narrative, but I totally get get the point of 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 seeing things in situ as opposed to a part of a, a thing. Um, okay, as this was a bridge album, moving on to remit, um, Mark's got this consistency in with the band. There's been consistency in his personal life. Um, Mark seems happy. On the remit, is he actually? Is this happy, Marky e. Smith? Is this? I mean, for me, this next album was the better one. It was a more fully formed album. It really worked from start to finish, as opposed to sort of bits, trying bits and bobs. Mike, um, is this going in, going back up? Is it swinging in, in the right direction? It wasn't for me, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> but yeah, that's the beauty of being a full fan. Uh, when the single came out, I thought, oh. Single was phenomenal. I think Sir William Ray is a great full single. And I thought, wow, if it's going to be like this, it's going to be great. But it wasn't. And that's not to say it was a bad fall album. I think by this time, again, looking looking back with some hindsight, having listened to it again recently, it's a continuation of what the fall had become. Um, You know, I think Mark was settled. You know, fourth album with the same lineup, unheard of. and I think they, I think by that time they'd probably established a way of working that worked for both the band and for Mark. Uh, again, I think they were left to do a lot of the heavy lifting, and then Mark would come in and, and do his stuff. Um, having said that, it's not a bad album. Um, it just doesn't have the. It's not as concise and as sharp as the two predecessors. I don't think. I don't think the songs are as sharp. There's some songs that sound like they've been made up in the studio to me and uh, are a bit aimless and meandering. Um, but, you know, not a bad album, but uh, certainly didn't set my world alight. Okay, okay. Um, Nick, um, where are you on this album? This wait, this was the album where he gives a, a, a sort of half, even half diss nod out to LCD Sound System, right? That was this album? He, I, I don't know, but I, yeah. I basically I did, I did yeah, like... Aaron's nodding. Okay. I did like this album better than Ersatz GB, but it's not saying a lot. I remember this was probably the last album I bought on release and did the whole working hard to like it thing. I remember driving to and from work, listening to it over and over. And there were these little flashes throughout the album of fall sound where I'd be like, oh, that sounds like the fall. And I know I'm probably coming at it wrong doing that. You know, I'm wanting them to sound a certain way rather than just trying to go with what they're actually doing. But... um, I don't know. There's there's stuff on there like Hittite Man that just sounds like a journey through Marky e. Smith's lungs, and it's horrible. <laughs> it's not a place you want to take a journey through. I um, liked that actually. Yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite. That's like one of the only ones I like on this album. I liked oh. that. Yeah. No, I mean I love I love Sir William Ray, and there's lots of little moments like that on the album, but but taken as a whole, yeah, I don't know. I can't, um, I can't is, get on with is it. Is there a thing now that this at this stage of the football that it, it's impossible? for uh, people who have been full fans for so long to not compare 
Yes, I guess. Um, whether or not their favorite period was early, was it like whether it was 80s or early 80s or 90s or what have you, um, when there's so much music there, it's very hard to go, oh, was this as good as? And if you're not in a period of something, then it's almost like you might be in a period of nothing, uh, I, I guess. Um, James, um, how, 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 where's this for you? Where, where is Remit sitting? I, I stumbled a bit on my words there, but hey. <laughs> well, um, I have to say, I absolutely love this album. I think it's there's so many ideas going on. It's just incredible. Uh, I think at the time there was, a, um, particularly on the old online forum, which I used to lurk on more than post, uh, there was a lot of people saying they just sound the same now. They're just doing the same uh, riff, 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 bang, 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 bang. And um, where's uh, your pletchum on the bass and all that sort of stuff. And it was, um, but when I heard this, I was like, there's so many ideas in here. It's wonderful. I mean, I spoke earlier about in the, the difference in the unutterable and IR missing winner, where um, IR missing winner is quite black and white and the unutterable is really, really, really colourful. I get the exact opposite with this and Urzat's GB. Urzat's GB is very grey, it's very grimy. This is a thing that goes on. I reckon for most fall albums anyway, if you're going to get a black and white grimy fall album, it's usually followed up instantly by an incredibly colour saturated, psychedelic, weird thing like Kinder of Spine. Um, the um, the wibbly wobbly noises in no in in noise. Um, um, my favourite on this is No Respects Rev. Um, is it? I mean, I know we've got a couple of albums left to go, but is it? It's an argument to say that this is their last good album. No, no it's not. That. No. There's more, there's no. More, no. <laughs> they were all good. It's, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so after that, we've got, uh, again, and the, they're very pretty consistent with their release times. 90s, it was one every year apart from 98. And now in the noughties and in the teens, it seems to be one every two years. There's a nice consistency to them. You're not waiting 10 years for a Radiohead to go, oh, we've decided to do something. He's still there. Um, so we got what sublingual tablet. Um, I did talk in previous episodes about how during the nineties, the repetition, repetition, repetition thing was replaced a bit by some songs, some song structures, a bridge, um, auto chip. Repetition's back, right? <laughs> yeah, repetition's back in a big way. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's again for me. This is a little bit of a patchy album. Um, but just confirm where the four were. And again, you know, they'd settled into this way of working, the way of presenting their music uh, and Mark's vocal style, uh, which had changed over the last four years. The two standout tracks for me are clearly Dedication and Auto Chip, which, you know, and live, they were phenomenal when they did that live. I mean, the band was so good. Um, again, I think Dedication, not Medication, Eleni just own the track i mean that was you know her keyboard work on that again it's just not simple you know single note stuff which she'd done previously it was far more textured more atmospheric uh mark the vocals i think on this are really good in places i think on his shouty tracks on stout man uh five book troll quit iphone when he really goes off on a gurgling screech his vocals they make me laugh you know they are both Full on, but funny. Um, and yeah, I love the album. 
be interested to okay, see what um, other people think think of it because I think I'm a lone voice. Uh, for me, by this point, I was get I was starting to my notes for uh, in this stage was are they a band or now just an idea? Um, because they were just they seemed to be the fall for because the the world needed the fall. I guess there was a fall shaped space that couldn't be couldn't be left uh, by Marky Smith, and so they continued. But I for me, I'm not sure there was much. Here, apart from maybe Autochip, that really I really noticed. Um, Aaron, I mean Autochip. That this is definitely one of your kind of tracks. I, I... <laughs> yes, I think Autochip is really good. I actually I really like this album. I think it's um, I think they kind of bounce back after two pretty forgettable ones. Um, one thing about the band is I think the band seems to get more and more comfortable. Um, but Lainey just gets better and better. Um. She started, I originally I found some of her keys to be just a little bit too poppy for the band. And, but here it's like she's doing some really cool kraut rock stuff and she just gets better and better. Um, and she surely missed in the next one. I don't want to go too much into it. Uh, Younger Cloth is really good. Auto Ship is great. Dedication, not medication. Yeah, dedication, not meditation. Uh, it's also really good. He's using his voice well here. I think he's accepted that his voice is gone, and I think he actually is using these new vocal tricks to actually a really good effect in this one. Um, I think um, he's using it well. How long is how long is Eleni was Eleni in the band? Like Eleven years. Eleven years. Yeah. I mean that's that's got to be up there. I mean I've lost count. I mean, up there with Steve Hanley for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a big step. And yeah, yeah, there's definitely. I mean. You, is it now even an argument to be made that she has more of an influence on the band sound full stop at the moment than Marky e. Smith does? Well, like turning her up, which is a good idea. Um, okay, so we're, we're still on sublingual tablet. Um, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I don't have many more notes to say on this, so I'm just going to start asking people random questions. Tansy, <laughs> random question. Um, <laughs> how's, sub, now, how, how's sublingual tablet for you? Um, well, that's the thing. I remember when it came out, I was really excited for it to come out. And um, I really liked Remit because, as was mentioned before, it's a very colourful and humorous album. So I found Sublegal Tablet quite stark when I first heard it. And it took me a few listens to kind of to get it. I was a little bit disappointed at first when I first heard it. I remember sitting down and thinking, this is a really short album, first of all. It sounded really, it went by really quick. And I kind of thought, mm, well, I didn't, I didn't really get it at first, but I think, I think what really stands out is definitely Eleni's contribution. You can really hear that coming through a lot stronger. I really liked that. I remember seeing them live as well around this time, and I stood in front of the stage, right in front of her, and watched her the whole night. And she, to me, she was the real driving force behind the sound at that point. And I do like Mark's vocals. Like you know, he he did. He was kind of doing that growly thing, and a lot of people don't like it. I, again, I, I also thought it was quite funny. But where do I sit with it now? Um, I don't really listen to it much anymore. I'm kind of, I'm, I. There was a point where I really liked the album, but now I'm not sure. I've kind of fallen in and out of love with it, to be honest. Okay, I mean the fact that they're that if you're falling in and out of love with it, the fact that it, it does still in does still or did still instill some love, um, albeit fleeting, is still quite good for a band on the, what, their 58th album or whatever on there? 
75. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I think I think my problem was I think I was expecting something similar to Remit when it came out. And it's very different. I mean, it's a lot more electronic sounding. And I suppose um, Remit's very kind of humorous and guitar driven and very kind of, it's a bit dark as well at the same time, but it's tongue in cheek. Whereas, again, like I said, I just thought, you know, Sublingual Tablet was really stark and really kind of, I don't know, it, it, it didn't it didn't have the same playful element to it. And I think I missed, I think I missed that. I think that's what it was. Okay. okay. Um, I went, I realized that by asking, when I ask people what they think of, of, of fall albums over the last, well, half an hour and the pod and the episode before, um, we basically go unexpected. Yes. Unexpected. No, unexpected. No, unexpected. Yes. Nick. <laughs> well, I, 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 by this point, I kind of, I guess, given up really trying to like the new fall albums, but you know, I always hoped, I think, I think one thing that the real new Fall LP taught me was never totally write the fall off. They could still come out with an album that will totally grab me. Sadly, this wasn't it. Um, I mean, I, I love the the. I'm a big fat man pushing a little pram. That's, yeah, a, a, a rare, a rare, a rare slice of Marquis Smith lyrical genius from the late fall. But uh, I don't know. Um, as a whole album, I, I can't get on board with it. But but well, this some, and new facts emerge. Really I kind of do they? Yeah, I mean, it, they don't really relate to each other that well. That's the other hmm. thing I noticed. They don't really connect with each other. Whereas normally with with full albums, there seems to be some kind of consistency in terms of a concept or some theme. I, I found with mm-hmm. this one, they were too kind of all over the joint. Yeah, and, and so, I, so I, that's why I found it inaccessible that way. Yeah, not much of it stuck for me when I listened, which was very rare for me with a full album. But what I found was I kind of chucked them all into my playlists anyway. So they'd come up at random while I was listening to music. And quite often I'd be like, oh, I like this. What's this? And I'd be looking. It's, oh, it's the fall of something all tablet. But when I listen to the album, it doesn't work for me. So taking in, you know, random bits of it thrown at me. Great. Whole album. God knows. God knows how long a full playlist is on Spotify. (laughs) No, not full play. I just have like, you know, basically I have a playlist of thousands and thousands of tracks. I just chuck everything in. So when I don't know what else to listen to, I just stick that on and shuffle. And, you know, it could be anything. Um, Going to go back over to James. Um, You have surprised us by sometimes by saying that albums that everyone else has derided have are amazing and and, and vice versa. Um, We're moving into, well, it's the penultimate album. Do they still have that magic for you? Of course. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, on live, uh, they were on fire. I mean, blimey. And there was, there was this amazing sort of, again, like with um, this sort of um, Real New Fall LP time, there seemed to be something bubbling up again. I mean, you had the, the – we haven't talked about this, actually, because I know it's not an album, but the remainder uh, 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 EP came out the year before. And that was really interesting because it had loads of different sort of styles. There was loads of like different things going on in it. Very, very good album. And then um, this came, this came along. Uh, and they did their Glastonbury um, thing that was on the BBC, the fall on the BBC. And that it's um, it's a real revelation to see them. And it seemed um, as though they, they were because they hadn't really had much BBC play after Peel died in 2004. And it seemed to be like um, when he wasn't turning into the dreaded national treasure, but I think again, people were sort of sitting up and taking notice again, which was, um, which was um, very nice. We, we did touch on a previous episode, maybe episode four about how he was, he did almost seem to be in some considered to be not so much 
a national treasure, but an alternative national treasure. He was invited on to read football results. He, you know, he was looked at and in a, in a, with a certain reverence, albeit, I don't know, um, side-glanced reverence, maybe. And then something would happen that would completely throw all those cards down and then they'd have to start and build themselves up again. Um, I don't know... Um, I can't remember because about that about the bands and like having loads of different ideas in this album. Because is is Black Mike? Do you know is Black Roof actually recorded with the Americans and it was something from a long time ago? Uh, there are a couple of tracks that were recorded, but they were recorded, I think, at the time. I think uh, Pete Greenway was on maternity leave. I mean, maternity leave. Who'd have imagined Mark giving anybody maternity leave? Um, but yeah, um, they did record a couple of tracks with the Americans. Yeah. And Tim Presley had obviously been uh, playing live with them uh, through that period as well. Okay, um, so we're going to move on. We're going to move on to the final album, uh, 2017's "New Facts Emerge." Um, I mean, maybe it's because I, I had been listening to a lot of the four, but at this point, it did for me sound like a collection of B sides and four unreleased songs that were being sung by. A fall, oh no, my drunk uncle who liked the fall, who was singing the fall songs at a wedding, but they're not the good stuff, like the unreleased collection. Can I just say, I'd that... like to go to that wedding. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike, this is the, this was the last one. This was the swan song. It was. was. it a fitting swan song? Um, at the time, we need to talk about what happened with the fall in the run-up to this album, uh, in that uh, Eleni was... Uh, booted out of the band or or left under her own st- st- uh, steam, depending on uh, which uh, forums you've read. Um, the marriage broke up, they divorced, and that was it. She was out of the band. I was gutted. I, as I've said, I thought she was a phenomenal part of the fall. Um, and I'd already made my mind up before this album had even landed in my hands. I was going to hate it, and I did. Um, on first play, I listened to it all the way through. And just went worst thing they've ever done, which I I probably did with most fall albums on first listen. Uh, I didn't listen to it again until I joined Temp Fans. Um, you know there were rumours uh, shortly afterwards that Mark wasn't well. Pictures were surfacing in video clips online, and he looked very ill at gigs. Um, you know none of us knew this was going to be the last album when it came out, and as I say, I gave it pretty short shrift. Um, when Mark died. I didn't listen to any four for a long time. So I only really went back to this album when we did the uh, post-death immersion. I've listened to it several times since, and particularly over the last couple of weeks, and it's really grown on me, really grown on me. Um, yeah, El- El- you know, you've got to accept Eleni's gone. And for me, that was a huge loss. But listen to how many years is it now? Three, four years since Mark died? Three years, it must be. Uh, listen to it now, you just taking what a phenomenal band those three guys were together. And if you've seen Imperial Wax, they still are. Um, Yet it's guitar-driven, far more guitar-driven than anything they'd done in the last decade. Uh, But for me, it stands up as a legacy for Mark. It's not a fitting epitaph, but I don't think he could have done a fitting epitaph at this stage in his career. But as a, that's your lot, I'm gone, it works really well. And... uh, it's impossible to listen to it without thinking, well, you know, 
what would he have done next? Would he have done anything next? We, you know, we'll never know. But where he could have gone after this is anybody's guess. Because I think there was still pre- plenty of life in the old dog. It's hard to imagine there wouldn't have been more for. I mean, yeah, you know, I think if, he would if, have gone if Marky on Smith hadn't died, I think we'd be probably yes, another two albums into the discography by now. Yeah, yeah. The fact, the fact that he persevered through all those gigs when he clearly wasn't well enough to perform, he's he, he was determined to keep going. Yeah, we've we've looked at when we did Bowie, for example, on on, on the podcast. Um, obviously, with Black Star, um, the time difference between Black Star coming out and, and Bowie's death was like, but there wasn't one. Um, but then there was that was also an artist, a legacy artist, whose last album and his and, and his demise were very close to each other. It wasn't like there was an album and then they sort of disappeared for five, six, seven years. Um, you said, was this a fitting epitaph? No, but would he have wanted one? I don't think he'd care. Yeah. I don't think he would have cared. I think with yeah, Mark's few of the albums, is you did an album, it was done, it was gone. He never looked back, never played, you know, rarely played old stuff live. He just did an album, it was done. He wouldn't have cared, I don't think. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, obviously, I for me, I was still ambivalent to the fall at this time. I heard he died and went, oh, okay, that's sad. Um, and I moved on with my life because he had no real connection with me. Um be interesting, not just, not so much to talk to everybody here about about how they felt about his death, but how you feel about his legacy. Now it's very easy. Ah, oh, the four influenced everybody. I mean, they didn't influence everybody. There are bands that have been touched by that. There are some who have obviously come along and either mimicked the vocal style. Even bands like The Strokes. I mean, that is that is a Marky e. Smith vocal style right there. The sort of mumbly style, and there are bands who have uh, taken on board certain facets of the four. But are there any, what is his legacy? What are the, what is the four's legacy for right or wrong? Uh, let's start with, I'm going to go clockwise with Tansy. Yeah. I mean, for me, Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> say for, for me, um, the legacy of the fall of Marky e. Smith is, um, as I kind of said before, it's not about music. Um, I suppose because if you look at music, you know, people go, oh, yes, this band's influenced by the fall that. But but I think for me personally, I I, I came, I discovered the fall when I was in art school, when I was, a paint, when I was painting a lot, and I listened to the fall a lot when I'm painting. So for me, it was more about um, how you develop your ideas and develop your practice in terms of being a creative person. I, I think for me, that's the biggest thing that the fall teaches people. There's a lot you can get from you know, the work ethic and the methodology and the idea of, you know, persevering with your, with your work, basically, in your practice and not trying to repeat yourself and, and um, this idea of editing your output and not, and not taking what you do at face value, not taking it for granted, but always pushing that, pushing it a little bit further. So for me, the fall is more than just about music. It's more than just about albums. Um, it's it's a lot more important than that. And I think, for me, that's probably the best way to look at the fall and look at Mark E. Smith. Okay. Uh, that's the other thing as well. Mark E. Smith's biggest invention was Mark E. Smith. At the end, end of the day, he was just Mark Smith. But he created he created this whole thing. This whole He could have been like David Bowie. He could have been like anyone else in music. But he decided not to he turned the whole thing on his head he had a bigger idea he had a bigger goal in mind 
And so for me, that's Perfect. what it's about. Thank you. Um, James, yeah. uh, same question to you. Same question to everybody. James is next on my Zoom circle. I mean, th think for me as somebody who's like, loved music from an early age. Um, when I first came across uh, The Fall in 1994, I was 15, and uh, my first experience of Marky Smith was that performance with um, the Inspiral Carpets doing I Want You on Top of the Pops. And um, for me to watch that for the first time, I only sort of getting into indie on alternative then. Uh, to see that, I mean, he there was a guy who's like 38 years old looking much older, um, just doing his just doing his thing and that it's such a great alternative and i first and then i bought like user syndrome two years later and put the needle on the record and then just listen to those opening bars and then that um that vocal delivery it's just so something it was just sounded so utterly fresh and like not like anything else i've heard and then that year afterwards i was going on this absolute because you could still get records quite cheap then <laughs> Those were the days. You could go to second-hand shops and pick up um, hex and, a second-hand copy of Hex and Ducks now for a fiver or something. Beautiful days. And, um, just going through and just going through the back, the, the back catalogue and just getting into this world, all these diaries, these short stories, these um, streams of consciousness, bits recorded off an, a dictaphone that he'd found. It's just fired the imagination. Um, wonderful stuff. And to be on that journey from... Um, 1996 picking up new albums as they came along. It was just, uh, I just felt very, very blessed. Um, and just coming up to New Facts Emerge as well. I mean, stuff like um, Couples that versus Jobless Mid-30s. That song absolutely terrifies me. And I, but I think it's one of the best things they did um, because it's just, it's just his ideas and what, what you can sort of get, get into your mind. It's, it's wonderful. Um, yeah, uh, that's what I think his legacy is, just this entire new way of thinking and listening to popular music. Wonderful. Cool. Aaron, um, you came to the fall for the first time when we the uh, Temp Fans Facebook group did the immersion, right? More or less. I mean, I'd heard um, the This Nation Saving Grace before. I was a, I was a fan of that album. I got into them through Pavement because I remember there was a line in one of their liner notes that said, people used to criticize us for sounding like The Fall, but everybody sounded like The Fall in those days. I remember thinking, <laughs> I need to listen to The Fall. And, and what do you think, what do you, what do you think as a semi-outsider, The Fall's legacy on musical Marky e. Smith or the character of Marky e. Smith's legacy is? It's really interesting. I mean, he's one of those people where you just don't know, like, if he's if he has hyper self-awareness or no self-awareness. I think there's always that tension where you don't know if he's, if he's just faked his way through 40 years or however many, yeah, 40 years, or if he was a genius and you just never really know. There's this, there's this part in the documentary, the BBC documentary from 2004, where he's saying, I finally become really good at singing. Oh, and and then they and then they cut and of course they perf they purposefully cut it to make it look weird but he's singing i can hear the grass grow and he sounds like some like drunk old uncle singing karaoke and he has like a he has like a, a symbol and he's just like i can hear the grass grow and just banging on the symbol <laughs> and then he has like some weird electronic thing and you're watching and you're like you don't even know where you are right now do you dude 
But I, then, I think there's probably an element of both. But he's so um, effective at what he does, and he's kind of like this this Forrest Gump figure of music. Like music is just kind of going along, and because he keeps bringing in new musicians, they're taking with these new ideas, and he's kind of just jumping in, and he's affecting the music as he goes through. But he's also being just a part of music history. So he goes through his baggy phase. He goes through his techno phase. He goes through the phase when the music that his that he created has come back into style, and he, then suddenly he's cool again. And it just always like, this... like when I like the fact that I've worn brown corduroy flares for approximately thirty five years, and recently I've noticed that the kids I teach are all dressed like kids from the early early nineties. You've and mentioned suddenly... that before, you. Yeah, yeah, it's great, <laughs> but it's going to go. I came back into fashion, Nick. Um, you have been. I mean, since we started this pod, I knew that we were going to do the fall. Uh, this was one that um, I, I stalled a little bit, but once I embraced it, I was like, fine, it's going to happen. Um, tell me the fall for you. You're, you're, you're my fall Ooh. guy. You know, I don't even know how to answer that. I mean, I'm glad we waited to do the fall a little bit because we were still figuring out how to do podcasts. And I wanted to do, I wanted to do them justice. I wanted to, the, these six episodes. If these are the best episodes we do of the 10 fans podcast, I'd be happy because... Because the full deserve it. Um, I just, I don't know. Um, I, people joke with me because, you know, when you have a reputation as being a full fan, like they make out like I listen to the full all the time. And it's really not that true. I listen to tons of stuff. I don't have time to listen to the full because I'm listening to all these other bands that we do with 10 fans. But you would listen to the full but, all the time. If- well, the thing is, when, when the full come on on a playlist or something, they always just make me happy. I just love it. I, it's so comforting to hear the full especially early fall for me, uh, you know, hearing those, those very early albums, any tracks from those, just, I just love them in a way that I find difficult to articulate, to be honest. I think you can project onto the fall what you want them to be for you because, because Marky e. Smith was so cryptic. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely love them. I think that and, the, and we'll always have that great, enormous discography that I've just made you trawl all the way through, but I do regret that I'll never see them live again. You know, because um, last time I saw them live would have been 2013. Um, and I didn't know it would be the last time I'd see them. Um, it was in Bristol. But then I moved to Hungary and they never played here. And uh, yeah, that makes me kind of sad to know that, that that's something. I'll never have that experience again of seeing the full live. And they were just the, the best live band. They were okay. brilliant. Um, before I finish on you, Mike, uh, I said I was going clockwise on my Zoom screen. It's a total lie. I was planning to to finish with the lifetime full fan, Mike, Mike Plowman. Um as Nick just said, yeah, um, I listened to The Fall for the first time. I hadn't listened to a single Fall album before this. Um, um, I am a petty man. And when John Peel died, I watched through tears as somebody was dragged out of a pub, Marky Smith, on Newsnight and didn't give, didn't give my hero the respect he wanted. And I went, fuck that guy. I'm never listening to a thing by those fuckers ever. Fuck him. Um, now... Obviously, I knew this was coming, and regular pod listeners to this will know that I was, oh, God, I've got to do this. And I will say it has been difficult because it's been a lot of music in a couple of weeks. Nick, there are probably 10 albums from the full discography I would put into very good, and I quite like them. Are you happy? Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. And I know if you keep going, that could get oh, to I don't have time to go back. No, no. The, the, there's those 10. The others are dead to me. Take the 10. That's happened now. <laughs> I've taken 10, some from the 80s, a lot from the 90s, maybe one from the noughties. Uh, but it has been better. Uh, and also my antipathy towards Marky e. Smith has changed. Uh, I quite appreciate 
if I don't necessarily like the Marquis Smith persona, I appreciate and respect him way more than I did when I came into this. Uh, Mike, I'm going to finish with you as somebody who has been a lifelong full fan, who loved them, fell out of love with them, came back to them. What do you think is the enduring legacy of Marky Smith or the fall on stuff? I think, you, you know, John Peel summed it up. He said they were always different and always the same, and they were, and they just kept going, and that's their legacy. You know, what other bands have done that? What other bands have kept going for 40 years and put out 31 albums? And, you know, yeah, there have been albums that have been patchy, but they've all sounded like four albums, all had something good on. And, you know, Mark was an enigma. We all, as Nick said, we can all project onto Mark what we thought he was, whether we thought he was a genius, whether he was a rambling drunk, uh, whether he was a, a nice guy, whether he was an absolutely nasty guy. But the fact is, they just kept going, or Mark just kept going. And I think that's his legacy. You know, there's a back catalogue of music waiting there to be discovered by people who have got open ears. And I think the legacy I'd hope for is that people will still discover them. People who've not heard them before, maybe through podcasts, will find the fall and find something they love and explore it a bit deeper. The greatest band in the world for me. Never let me Thank down. you very much, Mike. Okay, Thank you very welcome. much. Um, I think that there's nothing else really to say. Um, I mean, come back for the next episode of of Temporary Fandom. Uh, I think we, we should stop not... here, Ewan. I think we should just... You done. Know, that's it. Podcast <laughs> that's over. It. We've just we haven't done the Queen one yet. <laughs> we've, just done, we've just done the greatest band in the world. Mike said it. No point carrying on. That's it. Um, so ignoring Nick for a second. Also <laughs> because I, I have edit. I, I edit this thing so I can... I can make Nick say what I want, really. He does as well. Um, he does. Yeah. He all my jokes. Queen. Nick doesn't even like The Fall. Join us for the next episode when we will not be talking about The Fall. We'll be talking about someone, something else with also some very exciting guests coming up. Um, it has been an emotional roller coaster. Um, I would like to thank very much James Kennedy. James, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Tansy, Tansy McNally, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Aaron, Aaron Troy White. Thanks a lot, mate. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Mike Plyman, thanks for coming on. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Nick. Cheers. See you later. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> that was good. We did it. Listen to and talked about 31 albums and one EP by The Fall. Thank you to everyone who joined Ewan and I for the journey. In this episode, that was James Kennedy, Mike Plowman, Aaron T. White, and Tansy McNally of The Blue Orchids. But since we're at the end of this particular subset of episodes, I also want to say thank you to everyone who's pitched in since The Fall Part 1, including Jonathan Fisher, John Henderson, Zoe Von Hess, Joe Mitchell, and Fliss Kitson of The Nightingales. You've all been amazing. Thank you also to Ewan for indulging my anything but temporary fandom of the fall. This has been nothing short of a labour of love, and I suspect Ewan too is in danger of yielding to the fall's peculiar charms. If you enjoyed the show, please do consider leaving a review. We're trying to grow our audience to make this podcast sustainable, and one of the best ways you can help us do that is by telling others what you thought, especially on Apple Podcasts. One last thing before I go especially for all you full fans that have joined us. 
Our next episode is on Arthur Lee's love, and we have a very special guest. None other than Paul Hanley, drummer with arguably the greatest lineup The Fall ever had, and certainly on many of their best albums. Come and listen to us chat to him and other guests about love very soon. I'm Nick Hilditch, and if I can see, and you can see, why can't they see? <laughs>